Well, I'd like to introduce myself this morning. My name is Leroy Wagner, and my beautiful wife's name is Kimberly. And uh, I thought I might need to, uh, uh, to introduce myself to you. And I've been so grateful for your prayers. I understand that uh, you're an exceptional church who takes uh, unprecedented care of your pastor and family. One day I hope to pastor a church like this. Seems like I used to pastor a church like that. It is so good to be with you this morning. Now let's uh, turn to this morning's scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us into His truth and give us an understanding of the words we're about to read. Take your Bibles or your uh, iPhone, whatever you may have, and turn to Matthew 27. And we're going to look at verses 51 through 53. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 51. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, 20 feet high. It was not ripped by man. God made access to his holy presence because of what Jesus had just done. He had paid for our sins. Eternal life now through the blood of Christ was available to all whom he calls. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthquake and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that's a biblical term for those who follow Christ, they're serious in their commitment, they've surrendered their life to Christ. When they die, they're not really dead. They've just fallen asleep to be awakened again. Their spirits have left their body to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Their body is awaiting that day when Jesus calls and their spirit will be united with their glorified body. The bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection. They entered the holy city and appeared to many. What a strange passage of scripture you may have never heard a message preached on this I never have but I want you to listen carefully as we examine what we've just read our culture is preoccupied with zombies the phrase I see dead people walking is almost universally recognized TV shows, movies, video games, even commercials play off of this theme of the living dead kind of walking around. Not really alive and not really a dead, but they're just out walking around. Webster's definition of a zombie is a person thought to have died and brought back to life without a free will. Google zombies. Not right now, not while I'm preaching. But Google zombies and you will find scores of articles and information 
like how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Now, this is my personal favorite as I was doing research on zombies. There's a five-step plan that you need to put into place if we ever have a zombie apocalypse. Are you ready to write this down? Number one, you need to watch Zombie Land. Now, I don't know if that's a movie or a TV show. I know nothing about zombies. But step one is to watch Zombie Land. Step two, check Facebook. Three, make supplies your number one priority. That's a pretty good one there. Number four, stay close to home. Well, Kim and I have been doing that, so... And then number five, this is very, very important. Whatever you do, never, never, never go to Walmart. That's the thing. So I like that one. This passage is not about dead people taking a stroll, or should I say stumbling around Jerusalem. It is about people who were dead, but now are more alive than than when they were alive. By the force of Christ's resurrection, they have been brought to life. They have glorified bodies, and they will never, ever die. The resurrection is not an event we celebrate. It is a person we worship. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Turn with me to John chapter 11, verse 23. John chapter 11, and beginning in verse 23. Lazarus had just died. He was a close personal friend of Jesus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus had delayed his coming even though he had been requested to come and to heal and to raise up Lazarus like he had done with many other people. God's timing is always perfect. God always has a better plan than our plan. Even if our plan seems great, God always has the perfect plan. And so he's talking to Martha. And he says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The verb there is in the future tense. I, I know and I believe and I'm sure that my brother will rise again. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am one of the seven I am's of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he die, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's not only a question to Martha, that's a question to each one of us. That's a question to you today. Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. She now is speaking in the tense, I believe. I have believed. 
I'm continuing to believe. And so Jesus affirms her faith. The passage in Matthew is one of the least addressed by Bible scholars and least preached text in the New Testament. Matthew just seems to throw it in the resurrection narrative without any explanation as though it wasn't needed. Well, that could be a clue. Could it be perhaps that this was so well known to first century believers, it needed no explanation? Some of you drove by Memorial Garden Cemetery and some of you Oak Grove Cemetery on your way to church this morning. What if you saw someone you knew and you knew they were dead? You might have even gone to their funeral, saw their casket lowered into the grave. You know them, but you went by the cemetery and there they were walking out of the cemetery looking better than they ever have. You couldn't explain it, but you certainly could tell others about it. You might even take a picture and post it on Instagram or Facebook. Then perhaps thousands could see what you saw. That'd be quite an event, wouldn't it? Here's a man walking around in Jerusalem. Let's say his name is Theodos. And he happens to pass by one of his old friends. He said, Theodos, what are you doing? I went to your funeral two years ago. What are you doing here and now and alive? That'd be a pretty big deal, wouldn't it? If you saw people that you knew were dead and now they had risen and they look better than they ever have and they're walking around, we would, we would stop church this morning and we would let you testify all about that because that would be a big deal. Amen? And the resurrection is a big deal. Do you believe that? Now let's ask some questions about this account of people who were dead. And now have been seen walking around in Jerusalem. Seen perhaps by, think about it, hundreds of people. Number one, who were these saints? I think there's three primary possibilities. One is, they were well-known saints who died during the intertestamental period. That period of 400 years from the time God last spoke to the people of Israel to the time John the Baptist came on the scene proclaiming, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think there's a second possibility that some believe is true, that heroes of the Old Testament, like Abraham and Moses and Elijah, King David, we know that Elijah and Moses came down on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were seen by Peter and James and John and they talked with Jesus about his coming death on the cross. We don't know exactly what they said, but they came back from heaven's splendor and stood a little while on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Jesus. There's a problem with that theory in that there were no pictures of the heroes of the faith. No one would have known what Abraham would have looked like if Abraham would have bumped into them and knocked them over. 
No one would have known what King David looked like. The most revered king in all of Israel's history. So how in the world would they know that these people were dead and now alive? I believe this. Here's the third possibility. I believe that these saints that were up walking around were followers of Jesus recently deceased. People would recognize them and know them as individuals who were seriously committed to Christ. So I believe these were people who came to Christ during his three-year public ministry and they died and people wailed at their funeral. And now, as Christ is risen from the dead, these who followed him were following him in being resurrected. That's what I believe. Question number two. Why did these who followed Jesus receive glorified resurrected bodies? Also, I think there's three reasons for that. It testifies to the trustworthiness of Christ. He had been preaching of this and speaking of this all during his public ministry. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 20 in verse 34. Luke chapter 20 in verse 34. Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. This is the answer to whose wife will she be? In heaven, seven brothers, all of that. They were trying to trip Jesus. You'll remember that. Jesus said the children of this age, which means this present world, the age all of us live in now, this age, marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age, the eternal, glorious, wonderful time with Christ, that will never end. There's a difference between this age and that age. Did you catch that? Some of you are living in this age only. You have no part in that age because you have not believed and you have not trusted in Christ. This age is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. In all of its sorrow, in all of its pain, in all of its brokenness that's all around us, the injustice, the broken relationships, the broken families. It is as close to heaven as you'll ever know this age. Oh, but that age, that age will be so glorious and wonderful that we can't even imagine, our minds cannot comprehend what it will be like in that age. In the resurrection... From the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God, since they are children of the resurrection. Children of God are the children of the resurrection. You are guaranteed eternal life forever because Christ raised from the dead. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised. And he goes on and in verse 38 he said, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to Him. What a great great truth. What a great place to stand to build our lives upon. Number two, this prefigures, that's just a fancy word for it shows in advance, 
it prefigures every believer's resurrection future in Christ. It shows us what it will be like. Dead. Alive. Alive forevermore. You and I will experience that same resurrection unless Jesus returns first. Turn with me in 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we've testified wrongly about God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He reiterates the point. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. They're gone. They're gone forever. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits or the first one of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first one, the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he stands over the kingdom, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subject to the One who subjected everything to Him, so that God may be all in all. There's the mystery of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. The Son willingly submitting Himself to the Father. The Father had a perfect plan. It was a horrific plan, but it was a perfect plan, and the only plan that would satisfy the holiness of God and provide salvation for sinful man who was separated from God forever by their sins. Now look ahead to verse 51 of this same text. Listen, Paul's going to come back and he's going to emphasize this resurrection truth. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Their bodies will never grow old. Hallelujah. That's great news. 
whatever physical problem you have right now, and some of us have some, there will never again be an ache or sore joints or arthritis or whatever it may be. The dead will be raised incorruptible. And this mortal body, this temporary body, must be clothed with immortality, eternity. Oh, what a great truth that is. Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that victory this morning? Are you a child of the resurrection? Are you of this age and not that age? Do you believe this? These are some of the most serious, they are the most serious questions that you will ever in your life answer because your eternity depends upon it. I think it prefigures, it shows in advance every believer's resurrection future. Thirdly, their rising from the dead provides us a walking, talking billboard as it were. Have you ever seen those people that put a billboard on? We can take care of your taxes. We'll take half of it. We'll pay for it. Whatever it is, they've got a billboard. The end is near, something like that. But these saints were a walking, talking billboard, powerfully demonstrating Jesus's power over death, hell, and the grave. And four, it gives us a platform. It gives a platform for the gospel to be heard and preached. And it is the message of the apostles and the early churches. You think about it. How many people saw people who were previously dead and then they saw them with glorified perfect bodies and then when Jesus ascended up into heaven and he gave the great commission task to his disciples, when the disciples were preaching anywhere, those people were going to go hear them. It gave credibility, it gave power, it would launch the gospel. And we read about that in the book of Acts. Now I have four takeaways for us this morning. One, our lives are also to be that billboard pointing others to the life-giving, life-changing power of the risen Christ. Number two, It is both symbolic and instructive as to what every Christian's experience will be following the resurrection deceased. Now those who got up from the dead, pictures for us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ raised us up to walk in the newness of life. To be that walking, talking billboard that points others to Christ. We're now alive in Christ as these dead were now alive with glorified bodies. We are now alive in Christ and we're daily putting the gospel into real flesh and bones. Put a note down, read Romans 6.4. Romans 6.4. Three, you and I are truly in Christ are no longer afraid. We don't have to be afraid about our own death and we don't have to be afraid about our loved one's death who are in Christ. Fear is taken away because He lives. Because He is the resurrection. 
death has not just been cheated, it's been defeated. You've heard people say, well, I cheated death that time. Probably should have died there. Well, I cheated death. You've heard people say that, haven't you? Death is not cheated. Death is defeated. I want you to refer to maybe later on this evening, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do others foresee real evidence of the risen Christ in you? Now, it's a different thing if you see somebody out in the cemetery and they're picking up trash. You don't know if they're a Christian or not. They may just be trying to help out the community. But if you see a person that you knew had died and you had been to their funeral and you had seen them buried in that cemetery and now they were walking out absolutely alive, that's different, isn't it? Is there real evidence in your life, in my life, that we are walking in the newness of life? Can anyone connect the dots between your life and my life and the resurrection of Christ? Does it cause people to wonder why we're changed, why we live differently, why we don't cheat on our taxes, why if we're overpaid, we take back the money and it shocks them that we would give it back. Why would you live the way you're living? Why would you do what you're doing? Is there any difference between you and those who are children of this age? To what degree are you alive in Christ? Well, about 25% maybe. I know there's a lot of growing I need to do. Maybe 50%. You might even say, I'm 95% alive in Christ. That makes absolutely no sense at all. You're either alive in Christ or you're dead in your sins. It's all or nothing. Have you ever seen a partially dead person and a partially alive person? No. And there's not a partially Christian person who is still a partial sinner. You've been raised to walk in the newness of life. Do we need to grow? Yes. Do we need to repent of our sins? Certainly. But Christ, because He lives and He rose from the dead, you and I have that same resurrection power in us. Children of the resurrection. Is your life tethered to this singular event that happened almost 2,000 years ago? You're tethered to it. Your life cannot be described without the resurrection of Christ. You know it and you believe it more than you know and believe anything else. Is that true for you? Do you believe this? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let me speak with you just for a moment. This is a holy moment, a sacred moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God brought you here this morning. Not just because it's Easter. He brought you here because He had some questions for you. Some questions that penetrate 
the very deepest places of your soul. Do you believe this? Has Christ made the difference in your life and you're changed and you have right now eternal life? You're not afraid of dying? You sorrow when your loved ones die, but you don't sorrow like others because death has lost its power, its sting. You can't be saved because you want to be saved or it's not joining a church or walking an aisle or saying a prayer. You come to Christ because He calls your name. There's no one that knows you like He does. And when He calls your name, you'll know it. Maybe He's calling out to you. Right where you sit right now, if you know that the Lord is speaking to you, just call out to Him in repentance. Put your faith and trust in Him. It's not saying a prayer after a pastor. It is from your heart to God. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, save me. Have mercy on me. I want this resurrection life, this eternal life. Would you stand, please?